Good morning. And welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is February the 14th. Happy Valentine's Day. No, no happy Valentine's Day back? There we go. <laughs> it's the one saint's day that seems to have really gone beyond just the Catholic tradition. <laughs> A couple announcements for today. We are continuing with, with uh, Sunday School downstairs at 9.30. All are welcome to join. Brother Mike is teaching that class. We are doing Bible study on Tuesday night using Zoom. We are doing parables in Luke, and I have yet to pick my parables for this week. I haven't sat down and read through yet. So I'll be sending out an email Monday or Tuesday morning with that information in it. Uh, but we invite you to join. We look through and read through the parables and talk to, about them together. It looks like Kids Closet may be opening this coming March. I'm looking up at our witness person I see in, up above. Yep, we are thinking it's, it's planning to be opened up in March. If you have been down there lately, it is stock full of clothes. But that doesn't mean we can't use more clothes. And it means we can always use more underwear and socks. So if you... Stop by somewhere and you see some brand new underwear and socks for kids in especially elementary age. We invite you to grab them and bring them on in so that we have them available. You don't, you know, for some reason, people just don't want donated socks and underwear. Are there any other announcements that you would like to, to raise today? as we move into our time of sharing, of prayers, of things that bring joy in our lives and things that we wish to raise up and pray for as a community. I do have one up here from our sister Beth. Her daughter-in-law, uh, Secret, continues the struggle with COVID, with symptoms changing, some getting better and some getting worse. And her son, Jeremy, is doing better, but he's also sick. Was it positive for COVID? He didn't, test. he didn't test, but COVID symptoms. So continued prayers for them to watch over, that they heal. They also have their two children at home that they're doing fine right now, but that the sickness doesn't spread to them. I also have an update on my wife's uncle, George, who it was found out that he did have a stroke the week before last. He is back at home. His, his brother, my father-in-law, and my mother-in-law are caring for him. Just prayers for them as they, they move forward, as he's trying to get the therapy and healing after this, this stroke. Are there any other ones you wish to raise today? So Bev's granddaughter is getting married. Did you say she's in Hawaii or she's living in Hawaii? She's living and working in Hawaii, which I imagine the wedding's there. And the there. And, but they're, they're going to be going to, to Seattle. It is a bit of a downgrade when it comes to nice, sunny, hot days. But I've been to Seattle, and I do like that city. <laughs> Congratulations, Bev. And I'm sorry you're here in this weather and not in Hawaii right now. <laughs> Prayers for uh, Renee's brother, George, who is starting his cancer treatments this, this week. 
uh, joy. The flowers on the up in front today are in celebration of Becky and Chris Klein's birthdays. Welcome back, Max. We're so happy to have you, and I'm glad your dive into the baptistry did not hurt you too much. It's not quite deep enough. As many of you know, tomorrow is uh, our brother Mark's surgery, where they're going to be putting in two stents and coils to help stabilize around the aneurysm, so please keep him in prayers. He is going through quarantine right now, staying away from everyone in preparation for that. And that anyone includes his new uh, grandson, Jamison, who was born this last week. I had this written down, but I'm not up here. Nine pounds, 21, 21 inches. Uh, so it's a joy that, to have a new baby. And he, I know, is looking forward to getting through the surgery, getting through the recovery, and actually seeing the baby in person. If you'll join with me as we prepare our hearts for worship, for prayer, for God.
if you'll pray with me. Lord of storm and sea, of summer and winter, of fall and spring, watch over us. Fill our hearts with joy, with confidence. Help us to follow your way closely, to not let ourselves be drawn away by those things that man sets up, that we set up. Help us to follow you alone. Creator, we lift up things from our hearts, things of joy and things of sorrow. We lift up the birth. We lift up Jameson. We lift up births past, of celebrations of those, of Chris and Becky. We ask for those who need healing, for our brothers and sisters who are unable to attend. We lift up Mark and George, a secret of Jeremy. We ask that you watch over them, offer them healing, offer them presence. We thank you, God. And as we look towards brighter days and celebrate new births, celebrate commitments to one another of new marriages, of new relationships. We ask that your presence is always felt. Amen. I love you, Lord, and I lift my to worship you, O my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you hear, may be a sweet, sweet sound. In your ear, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O oh, my soul, rejoice. Take care, my friend, in what you hear, may it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear.
Our reading in Mark continues, chapter 7, 1 through 23. Now, when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, without washing them, that is. Mark adds in parentheticals, For the Pharisees and all Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions they observe, such as washing cups and pots and bronze kettles. The story continues. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Jesus said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites. As it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are from far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandoned the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. And then he said, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And whoever speaks ill of their father and mother should surely die. But you have said, if anyone tells Mother or father, whatever support you might have had from me is Corbin, that is, an offering to God. Then you no longer permit doing anything for father or mother, thus making void the word of God through your tradition that you have handed on, and you do many things like this. Then he called the crowd to him again and said, Listen to me, all of you, and understand There is nothing outside a person that is going in that can defile them. But the things that come out are what defile. Then he left the crowd and he entered a house. And the disciples asked about this parable. He said to them, Then you do also fail to understand. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person cannot defile since it enters not the heart but the stomach and goes out into the sewer. Thus he declared often it's clean. And then he said, it is what comes out of a person that defiles, that is from within the human heart, that evil intentions come, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, evil, envy, slander, pride, and folly. All evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Amen. So the older I have gotten, the more I have realized that being clean is an ideal state that I don't often get to inhabit at least not as often as I would like sometimes. Now, there are different levels of dirtiness, and some dirtiness is kind of nice. I mean, I liked maintenance work. When I was out there mowing and digging and stacking wood, and I would come in covered with the dust of the earth, 
my hands dirty with stain and oil. Sure, I didn't want to spread it everywhere, but it was kind of nice. And when I went on to counseling, well, that's a little different. Yeah, I was still sweaty and a little dirty, but it's kind of like parenthood light. You're caring for all of these small humans and all the things that come with caring for small humans. And then, of course, parenthood itself being that many times more. The dirtiest has always been working in restaurants for me. I mean, there's the regular everyday dirtiness that just deals with working in a restaurant, you know, fighting food spoilage, keeping surfaces wiped down, fighting off infestations, mold, ugh, it's disgusting. It's stuff that's really honestly easy to take care of. You just have to do it every day. And it's like, you know, dealing with food in your own home. And then there's the thing of dealing with caring for the public, like all those half-eaten meals that come back and have to be washed off of plates and silverware and ice cream containers and cups and ugh. And then there's public bathrooms. Sorry, I'm having flashbacks. There are public bathrooms, we'll leave it at that. And there's always the chance that you're gonna to have to go out and scrub something out of the carpet that should never have been in the carpet in the first place, but because it's a public restaurant, it ends up in the carpet somehow. By the end of my time, I've developed a strong stomach when it comes to dealing with this kind of stuff, to the point where it really doesn't bug me to reach my arm down to one of the real big deep sinks to unclog it even though I can't see anything beyond the surface. One of the reasons why I'm very big about the rule that knives do not go in the sink if you can't see them. Gotten that cut once or twice. Anyway, it's also given me a great deal of love for hand washing sinks that are big and deep with good hot water and a soap dispenser close at hand just getting it all off again, feeling a little better knowing you've just stuck your arm in something that had lots of food remnants in it. I think this is why this story today is so unsettling, because I, I value that cleanliness. Now, I will fully admit, I don't always wash my hands right before I eat. I'm not perfect. But I wash my hands when I come in from outside. I wash my hands when I use the restroom. I wash my hands pretty regularly. It's a good idea. And Jesus and his friends were walking about all day, talking to people in the busy marketplace, touching sick people. It just doesn't seem like the Pharisees are being that rude. In fact, they sound a lot more like my mom. You know, Andrew Paul, go wash your hands. You've just been stacking wood. And it feels like Jesus' response through this example would be like, Mom, you're a hypocrite and a bad Christian. What? It's a little extreme, Jesus. It seems like a pretty minor request that Jesus is then making mountains out of. I have to say that illustration was made up whole cloth. 
I, did never say, I never said that to my mom, and it still feels bad to say it. So what gives Jesus? Why this third degree? Why are you so harsh on these Pharisees? And apparently I'm not the only one who thought this doesn't make a lot of sense. It, not even in the same generation. Because Mark thought it enough to add in extra information just to clarify for the other readers. So looking at verse 3 and 4, it's set in parentheses. It's a parenthetical. So Mark's giving a little bit of extra information that doesn't really change the story unless you don't know the context of the story. So verse 3 in the NIV, and I read the NRSV earlier, reads, The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. That seems a little different. Now, the NRSV, it said, they thoroughly wash their hands. Ceremonially and thoroughly seem like a pretty good-sized gap. I don't ceremonially wash my hands. I thoroughly wash my hands. All right. Whenever you come up with a wide translation gap, it's good to go back into the Greek if you can. So the Greek reads, and now I'm going to butcher this, Pugme nipsalnate tas kairas, which a direct translation is the fist. They wash the hands. The fist, they wash the hands. What? I don't know about you, but that makes no sense to me. I mean... That's that word, uh, pugme. It means literally the fish, the fist. If you, uh, if you know the word pugilist, as in somebody who, um, who boxes, who uses their fist, it's the root word for that. Okay, if I'm struggling with this, I'm going to go back into my translations. Now, there is a reason I use the NRSV and the NIV a lot. It's not just simply because all of our Bibles in the pews here are NIV, and most of my study Bibles are NRSVs. But it's because they are the two strong translations that sit on either end of the translation spectrum. Not counting paraphrases like the, uh, like the message. So the NRSV uses something we call formal equivalence which means they stick as close as they can to the original words. As an example, I had a friend who went and was visiting some churches in Africa, and he came and he sat down in a pew, and he was sitting there with his family, and the person who was traveling with them who was acting as a guide and a translator. They saw my friend there, and they... They welcomed him, they invited him in, and then they found out he was a preacher. They're like, ah, will you preach for us? And he said, of course, I'd love to. But he gets up and, you know, he just flew into Africa. His throat's a little sore. He's a little jet lag. And he gets up <coughs> and, <coughs> excuse me, I have a, <coughs> a bit of a frog in my throat. And his friend who was translating for the crowd said in 
the language that the people understood. He has a frog in his throat. They got a little upset and really concerned because this poor preacher had a frog in his throat. That would be formal equivalence, which doesn't always make perfect sense, which is why you have styles like the NIV, which is a dynamic equivalence, which simply means that, yeah, we translating may not always be direct. It doesn't always work perfectly. So sometimes we need to take the spirit of what's being said and twist it to make sense. So that would have been as if the friend, instead of saying he has a frog in his throat, would have said, you have to excuse him. He has a sore throat today. OK. So we have the formal saying it's thoroughly, and we have the dynamic saying ceremonially. So how do those two fit together? OK, so I go back in. I'm, I'm digging a little more. OK, tell me a little more about this word pugme. OK, it could be a couple different things as well. It could be a form of measurement, the distance between elbow and knuckle. It can refer to maybe cupping of hands. If you've ever washed your whole arms, which I'm sure you've all done more than once, it's hard to get water all the way up here if you don't have a huge sink. You have to cup the water. OK, that makes sense. The last possible translation is that it means to scrub with one's fist, which I kind of get. I've never done that really myself. I might use like the monkey paw scrub. But this is sounding a lot more like my experience working in kitchens or any, any job that gets your forearms nice and dirty. Because a lot of jobs, you wear short sleeves. Or like in the kitchens, I wear chef's jacket rolled up to my elbows. OK, that makes a lot of sense. Now, for a Jew who is reading Mark, it wouldn't have thought about Pennsylvania Health Department rules and regulations. Because after all, that makes no sense. And there were no rules and regulations when it came to kitchens at that time, at least like that. Instead, they would have first thought of the priest, because that's what the priest did. Every time they went to go perform any ceremonial, any ritual acts, they washed their forearms like that. These rules are laid out in Exodus and Leviticus, but they aren't actually meant for everyone. They're meant specifically for the priest. That was what the priest did. That was expected. That kept them clean. And keeping clean meant that you didn't die when you were doing the acts. Because that was important, too. <laughs> the Pharisees wanted to be like the priest. They wanted to be as ceremonially clean as the priest. So they engaged in these washing rituals. And they tried to get others to join them. Lost my train of thought. Tried to get others to join them. But it's still not 100% clear because after all, unless you're really familiar with the Old Testament, if you're really familiar with Hebrew scriptures, which a lot of Roman and Greek Jew, uh, Gentiles would not have been, it still makes not a lot of sense. Thankfully, we have verse 4. NIV reads, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. They they observe many other traditions, such as washing cups and pitchers and kettles. There the word wash switches. Where he'd been using a different word before, now he uses the word baptismos, which should sound familiar to all of you. 
baptism, a ceremonial cleaning from sin. This is nothing about physical cleanliness. It's all about ceremonial cleanliness, about spiritual cleanliness. Jesus just has no time for that. He doesn't care whether you are religiously clean or not according to what you touch. He's worried about your soul. And so he retorts. He brings up, and I believe this is the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. Whoever speaks evil of their father and mother must surely die. And I'd like to remind you that what I said earlier about my mom was completely made up. Now, honoring your mom and your dad meant a lot of different things. And one of them included caring for them as they aged. Now, in Jewish tradition, as your, the eldest son typically would be living with his parents, along with his wife and their children, and he would slowly be taking on more and more duties from his father, though his father would remain household head as long as he was able to. If you entered a time of dementia or other things that would render him unable to do those things, then it changed. But up until the moment he couldn't do it, he was the household head. And when he passed on, the son, the eldest son, would take over and care for his mother. He'd also be responsible as his dad got older, helping his dad, making everything work out well for him. That was how it was supposed to work. But over time, something new had snuck in. And all we get is this funny little word in here, Corbin. Corbin is in the Bible. They don't use the word Corbin. It's, it's the last uh, chapter of Leviticus, which if you've been keeping up on the Bible 2021 thing, I just talked about this, and I even had to put an extra thought in that day because I struggled so hard trying to understand this because it's not talked about anywhere else, basically. The idea was... You may be so filled with zeal for the Lord that you want to give something more, give something to the temple. And so you would dedicate land or animals or even people. This is something that was in Judaism, but something that was really big in the surrounding faiths. And what ended up happening as time went forward to the time of Jesus, is that people would, instead of being careful with their money to make sure that mom and dad were cared for as they aged, they would just go ahead and give it all to the church, or rather the temple. And then they said to their parents, oh, I'm sorry, I gave your retirement money away. You're on your own, mom and dad. Sorry. And that became acceptable. Jesus doesn't like that people have decided, no, these are the rules. This is how things are supposed to work. The Pharisees have done that a lot. They have taken rules that were never meant for them in the first place and said, it applies to everyone now. You all have to follow it or you're bad people. And then they went on and said, guess what? Here are some new rules we're going to add to this. 
you got to follow these. Don't worry about those uncomfortable ones over there. They don't matter anymore. Jesus turns away from the Pharisees, from the teachers, and he calls the crowd back to him and says, look, it doesn't matter whether you are washing correctly or not. It doesn't matter if you're following all these clean, clean, unclean rules. What matters is what you're doing with your life, how you're treating others, how you are behaving in the sight of God. It's not what you put into you that makes you unclean, but what goes out. Now, of course, he's meaning this on a spiritual level, not physically. Please don't eat uncooked pork. But this is a reversal of a millennia and a half of Jewish thinking. I mean, it's not surprising that the disciples don't get this. It's completely different. It would be as if I got up here and preached that we are not saved on faith alone. You just wouldn't get that. It's so different than everything we have ever learned. And I'm not making that argument. I'm making that that's that big of a change. I mean, if you wanted to stay ceremonially clean, you couldn't touch a lot of things. There were certain things you couldn't have. So if you had a rash, you weren't clean. If you were balding in certain ways, you weren't clean. If you touched a dead animal, if you touched a dish that a dead animal fell on, if you have mold in your house, you weren't clean. It was even harsher for priests. If you were a priest and your wife died, you couldn't touch her. If you were the high priest, you couldn't even touch your mother or father or your child when they died. It was harsh. It was hard. Becoming unclean was a dangerous thing. It separated you from the community. It separated you from your ability to approach the temple, your ability to approach God. I don't know about you, but when you read a lot of these unclean things, and a lot of them, the rule is just go quarantine yourself for seven days, check in. Still bad, give you another seven days and check in. It's all about keeping the community disease free, which let's face it, this is pre-germ theory by what, 2,000, 3,000 years when the law is given. It's been a long time before. A lot of it makes sense. God's just trying to keep the community sanitary. But this uncleanliness, this these rules about disease, they start to get in the way over time. They start to form rules. If you want to, you can, you can go back and you can find these scrolls upon scrolls upon scrolls upon scrolls of Jewish teachers, of rabbis, of priests, writing all about how to apply these rules to your life. There's actually a level of distance you are allowed to walk. And it all depends on where you live on the Sabbath. If, if you go home, if you want to check your oven, your oven manual, even today, a lot of them have a Sabbath setting 
so that you're able to set the oven the day before to come on automatically for you so you don't break the Sabbath rule of turning on your oven. There's a lot of rules. But for Jesus, they're getting in the way. They're getting in the way because they're keeping people from following God's actual will. The law is all about coming closer to God and coming closer as a community. And the things that keep us apart, and I realize I'm saying this in a day where we have COVID and we're all sitting here wearing masks, it, but it isn't disease that really keeps a community apart. What keeps a community apart is all the other things that Jesus lists. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, licentiousness, deceit, envy, slander, pride, and folly. Human problems are holding us apart. It seems so simple. It seems so obvious. The disciples still struggled with it. I mean, after all, it was such a big change for them. Yet we still struggle with this today. It's easy to say, oh, we don't do this because of this rule. Or we don't do that because of that rule. And we're all guilty of this. I know I'm guilty of this. But the question isn't supposed to be, what is this rule and how do we apply it? The question is, how do we apply the love of God in our lives? Are we following the will of God? Are we following the love of God? Or are we following the rules that we set up? Are we following ourselves? I say this knowing there's a wide, wide walk in this. There is no yes all the time, and there is no no all the time. That It's situational. But at the same time, I don't think we can go very wrong if we just sit down and go, are is what we're saying, is what we are doing because we are called to faith, because we are called to God, to love, to Jesus, to the way. Or is what we are doing because we are feeling called to the rules, to the religion, and not faith? Something to ponder. Thank you.
as you go out this week. Go by that old adage. Do you remember that one? WWJD. Yeah, WWJD. What would Jesus do? Mark's Jesus is always challenging us not to worry about what others think about us, not to worry whether we look good or not, but whether we're following the will of God, whether we're following the faith of God, whether we're following the love of God. So I challenge you as you go out this week, walk in love. Walk in love in all moments. Amen.